Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on in this series, we're doing on the church. And uh, we didn't go out of our way to find a title. We just figured we'd talk about the church. We'll call it the church, and here we go. And um, if you've been coming here for any length of time, you know, if you give me a subject, I can talk on it for a long time. And uh, so we're just kind of moving into the whole process of the church and what it means and I want to keep, I know I keep saying this and I I know that I've said it to you a lot, but I want you to make sure you hear it. Whenever you read about the church in the New Testament, it's referring to people. It's either referring to believers from the time of Jesus forward or it's referring to a specific group of people, believers in a specific place, and that's the church. And so the reality is you're the church. Um, You're the church when you're here. We're gathered corporately as the church, but you're the church when you leave. Wherever you go, you're the church. You're the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not something that that ever stops. You're the body of Christ. So rather than thinking of the church as an event or something that we do, I want you to begin to think of the fact that you're the church, the church is people, and I think that causes us to look differently at the way that we live. Um, You're the church all the time, and there's something very important about that. Having said that, that it's about people, I've gone on to say that it's also about relationships. Then the church is about our relationship with God, it's about our relationships with the people of God, and it's about our relationships with the future people of God, those who don't yet know Jesus. And that all those relationships are sort of developed in the context of four specific things, fellowship, discipleship, no, worship, discipleship, fellowship, and mission. And we spent quite a bit of time already talking about worship and praise and prayer as being a worshiping community. Then we spent some weeks talking about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. And last week I introduced to you the topic of fellowship. And I said to you that Christian fellowship is believers in Christ um, coming together in unity, love, and humility to mutually support and encourage one another. And, and that... Um, um, that we come together and we have a, a set of common values and principles and we're filled by the same Holy Spirit and even though amongst us there might be a lot of little little differences, the main core of things we have is, is, is developed in Christ, filled by the Holy Spirit and we share that in common. And then I said a good way, I thought, to really look at this idea of unity in the church is to look at some of the one another phrases in the Bible. And I, I, we talked about these phrases from the Greek word alone, which is what we uh, translate as one another, and that there's a, a number of these verses in the New Testament, um, but the ones that apply specifically to us um, are, there's about... Uh, well, there's 94, and there's 47 specific sort of things that were, to, you know, that really directly impact us. And out of that number, 30% are about unity in the church, 30% are about loving one another in the church, and, and 15% um, are about humility and the importance of those things. And those three sort of things really interact together um, in, in the process of our lives and in the way we interact with one another and our relationships with the people of God, which obviously impacts our relationship with God and impacts our relationship with the future people of God. Because if we can't get along, um, how in the world are we going to go out and tell other people about Jesus? If, you know, they're going to go, no, thank you. And uh, so these relationships are very, very important. So today I want to talk about unity in the church and that, you know, probably the, the, the biggest obstacle we'll be facing, like in all areas, is our own selfishness. Selfishness is at the root of sin and all of these issues, but it impacts us relationally as well. And so I want to talk about that 
today. That's the intro, transition. I just had a few really silly little sayings that I read that I'd been storing up that I thought I would share. Remember, half the people you know are below average. No? He who laughs last thinks slowest. I find that very true with my humor. If you believe in psychokinesis, raise my hand. That's a, that's a keeper. <laughs> I have so much fun doing that. Scripture reading here on purpose is out of the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 and, uh, through 3. What, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Like I said before I got into the little transition time, um, the bi- one of the biggest obstacles we'll face on, on being united in the church and, and in all our relationships really is our selfishness. And, um, and so I want to look at that. And, and, you know, James was writing there and he's saying, listen, the, the problem that you're having trouble um, finding unity um, is that, that you struggle over things that your struggles for things are out of whack and out of place. And you, you sort of, you know, you have these things going on within you. And he wants us to be aware of that so that we can learn to um, walk in unity with one another and to realize, you know, a lot of it is to begin to realize and put a uh, sort of a, a face to our selfishness. Um, I don't know if it ever, so, sometimes my own selfishness surprises me and, and uh, that's good that it does because then I can start to sort of look at it and figure it out. But um, I'm a fairly selfish person and I don't think I'm much different than most people. Um, I think that it's a struggle that we all have and that when it's real to us, in the different ways that it becomes real, I, I think it's actually a very good thing because then we can invite the Holy Spirit in to help us deal with that. Um, it's, it's a, you know, the, this whole process of, um, um, you know, relating well to one another, to the Lord and to future, the future people of God requires um, a, a source outside of us. We have to be willing and, and ready and recognizing our struggles and then inviting the Holy Spirit in to actually come and help change us and empower us to move differently than we always have. We, we have this tendency to resort to a very um, sinful way of activity in life. Um, you were born into it. You were born to a sin nature, it's, you know, um, and it wants to continue to rule over you. You're no longer a slave to it um, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And now we have the Holy Spirit um, who can help us make changes so that as we become aware of these actions of our sin nature, we can, we can, um, we're empowered to change and we can choose not to do those things. Where before Christ, you were a slave to that. You, you didn't have the same options that you have now. You can really, um, with the help of the Lord, make some major changes in your life and, and recognize um, this selfishness when it's rearing its head and choose not to go in that direction. But sometimes we sort of got to be woken up to it um, because it, it's, it's, um, it can catch us off guard. There may be things that we do that we haven't examined for a long period of time that are extremely, ex- extremely selfish and self-focused that we need to observe and deal with um, and ask the Spirit of God to help us make some changes in our lives. 
And um, in our, in our um, unity in the church, this is very important, and we're going to look at some of the one another verses to help us do that um, today. And I've got three sort of areas, I think, that are very helpful in walking in unity and becoming aware of our selfishness and, um, and then some, you know, some things that we can do sort of in the process. So one of the things that we're going to talk about, first thing in your notes, is we need to be kind and compassionate people. We need to be a kind and compassionate people. Paul says uh, in Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. This is a way that we're supposed to act in the body of Christ. We're to be kind and compassionate. Romans fifteen seven. Paul says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So um, we're to accept one another and we're to be kind and compassionate to one another. And um, that's not just the people that we like. Um, or anything like that. It, it's, it's a sort of a general statement that in the body of Christ, we're to be accepting, kind, and compassionate. And that this is a pretty big deal when it comes to, um, when it comes to unity. And um, oftentimes it's, it's our, our selfishness and our pride that will get in the way of those things. And sometimes we, we, we don't... Um, we, we may have a way of looking at people, and I think maybe this sneaks in with a little bit in different ways, where we start thinking maybe we're a little bit better than other people sometimes, maybe, and, we, and so we treat them a little differently. I'm not sure why that creeps in sometimes, but I know it does, and, and that sometimes, maybe without even realizing it, um, we can be a little rude to certain people. And, and um, that, that this rudeness, um, and a lot of times I think people aren't even aware of their, their rudeness. It's just become sort of ingrained in the process and it only happens with certain people because these might be exceedingly kind people to you and you might think of them as exceedingly kind and compassionate people until the, you put them in a different sort of situation and all of a sudden they, you think, well, that even, then seems out of character almost um, that, that uh, people can sort of be rude. Like um, sometimes, and we'll talk more about this particular thing in, in our missional um, talks that are coming up, we talk about being a, how we're going to treat the future people of God. But just as an example, I'll see people that are so loving and kind when I meet them, and yet when I, I might see them at Winn-Dixie, and all of a sudden they're extremely less kind to the people that are working there. Shockingly, almost. I'm like, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't match up. I don't get that. Or um, be at a restaurant with people who, who you know, are kind, compassionate people, as far as you know, who, who treat servers like, like they're from a different planet or something. And I, I, it doesn't connect with me. To me, it's a disconnect. And I often wonder if people just haven't examined those sort of thoughts and ideas in themselves and realized that, um, you know, that we're not called to live that way and that, that we're to extend this. And that as we begin to look at little instances where we might be rude, um, we, we can then picture that and see how we're doing that, um, and perhaps in, in, in the context of the body and... Uh, you know, to be accepting, to be kind, to be compassionate, to not sort of label people, to not um, dismiss people, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Um, this is all, you know, very important stuff in being kind and compassionate, a willingness to accept people, you know, where they're at and trusting that the Lord is working on them. And, um, you know, just th this rudeness thing, I think, is a pretty good catch for us to just become aware of it and what situations it might pop up and for us to sort of look at those things. And, uh, you know, sometimes the, our rudeness um, is our sort of desire to blame things that aren't happening well in our lives on somebody else and make them pay for it in some way. But I think we really need to examine it and, 
and check it out and, and uh, um, just see if that's part of us. Hopefully it's not, but if it is, it's certainly something that we need to work on. Uh, and you know, one of the things I always like to do, there was a phrase a long time ago, it's not popular anymore, it was popular for a season, they had bracelets and everything, the what would Jesus do bracelets. Um, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you caught some of that, I'm sure, uh, when it was really popular. What would Jesus do? And uh, I don't see that as a phrase anymore, but um, the idea is pretty good. I, I like to think about it. What would Jesus do in this situation? And uh, we can learn from him because he's our model for life and ministry. So be thinking about that, being kind and compassionate. We should be the kindest, most compassionate place uh, in, in the world. You know, the, the church should be all over, not... And that's you, the people, and you're the church all the time. All the time. We need to be forgiving, point two. We need to be forgiving. Colossians 3.13, Paul says we're to bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That is a pretty significant statement. I don't know about you, but I've been forgiven much, like crazy much, and the... uh, the expectation from God then is that I be a forgiving person because of all that I've been forgiven. And uh, the reality is we live in a fallen world, broken planet, sinful nature. We're going to hurt people and people are going to hurt us. It's just, it, that's, a, that's a reality. As much as we don't want to, as much as it's not our hearts perhaps to do those things, um, to hurt people, I, don't, I hurt people that I love, I, it, it just happens. I get, I get selfish and I will say something or act a certain way or do something and I will impact the people I love and it's not ever my desire to do that, but it happens. And, and um, y- you know, I don't want to be like that. And so the way that we begin to overcome some of that is we understand how much we've been forgiven and you, if you haven't thought about that, you need to, that's, we don't really forgive well until we, really start walking in how much we've been forgiven and uh, all of us have been forgiven you know the, the wages of sin is death you think about that that's the, so that the wages of sin all of us have sinned we've been forgiven that I mean that's wild so it doesn't matter where you sort of categorize your sin you, you've been forgiven in this ridiculous way and um, and so we're to be forgiving now why is it a struggle um, to forgive sometimes in people who have hurt us. And, and I think a lot of times it's a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. So whenever I get a chance, I like to talk about this a little bit because I think it's very helpful. Um, forgiving someone does not mean an instant restoration of trust. It's two different issues, and this is where I think people begin to um, hesitate on being forgiving. Um, see, forgiveness is, is instant. It's something that we do. We're commanded to do it. Um, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't give us something to do if we couldn't handle it. We're to forgive people. And you think, oh, you don't know how I've been hurt. I get how badly you've been hurt. I understand. I've heard the stories. I get the deal. Um, but the reality is we're to forgive people. Um, but, but this idea of forgiveness is based on grace. Based on grace. Trust is actually based on works. And it's not a, it's not a bad thing, this whole idea. So... Um, I think a lot of times people, when, they, when, when things, really bad things have happened to them, um, they, they refuse to forgive because they think then what happens is everything has to go back to the way it was. And let me tell you, that's not the case. If someone has um, horrendously abused you, if, um, if they have hurt you in, in numerous ways, um, it is, uh, it's certainly okay to put boundaries on that situation so that can, can't continue to happen in any way, shape, or form. 
But withholding forgiveness is not how you go about that. You, you go about setting boundaries in place. You forgive those people. Um, if relationship will ever be restored in that process, it's because the person who has offended you will demonstrate repentance over time. And that's a huge difference. And if they refuse to demonstrate repentance, you don't reestablish that level of trust and you keep the relationship at a different level. That is not a lack of forgiveness. That is an absolute... If uh, giving them over to God, that's forgiveness. I'm just going to give you to God in this situation. I'm not going to carry it any longer. Because when you carry unforgiveness, you get bitter. And the bitterness that you hold destroys all your relationships. And it just gives the whoever hurt you power. And so what you do is you, you forgive them by, by giving that whole situation to God. But the relationship now is changed because of whatever's happened. It's especially big things. You know, little things. It just, you know, don't, don't hang on to ridiculous little things. Big things. Um, it is okay to change the dynamic of the relationship um, in a loving way that's, that says, okay, until trust is restored, then this is, these things are changed. Um, and if, if someone is unwilling to deal with that, it means they're not really repentant. Because someone who is truly repentant will understand that re the reestablishment of trust takes time and action, and it takes over a little period. I mean, it just doesn't... That's a different thing on the big issues. All right, on the little things, you know. I, I'm not talking about that. So what we do is we say, you know what, I'm going to quit hanging on this. I'm going to put this in God's hands. I'm going to rest in God's grace. He's forgiven me much. And, and now um, what will happen in the future really will be on the offender in this point in time. Or if you're the one who's offended uh, someone, and, and uh, you're going to have to just reestablish it by, by being willing to take whatever the time looks like and, and uh, understanding that you violated trust and it's a time issue demonstrated by, you know, actual actions and repentance of changed behavior. So um, we, do, we are to be a forgiving people, and um, it makes a significant difference. So we forgive people. Uh, we don't, like I said, immediately change, you know, that doesn't mean we're right back to where we were. We could in some places, but sometimes it means this difference. So kind of think about that for a while, and uh, there's levels of that. And we need to be, third, encouraging we should be the most encouraging group. We should, uh, I talk about encouragement all the time. Paul says in Romans 15, 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Um, and so this idea is that we, we have this, uh, we're, we're a people who encourage one another. First um, Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you were doing. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider... How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching we're to be an encouraging group and, and that this, this will unite us. We don't need to be afraid of the same thing the culture is afraid of. We don't need to be afraid of anything. We have the Lord. Um, but the, you know, our culture is worried and they're, they're stressed out a lot of times. We to come and to encourage one another and to build one another up. The word um, uh, encourage in the New Testament is para kaleo. Um, para means beside or, or near or alongside, and kaleo means to call or summon. And so the, the word there is uh, para kaleo or, or uh, paraclete um, would be someone who is an encourager and, and encourages someone who comes alongside and brings comfort and hope and courage. Um, that word paraclete is another um, name that's given to the Holy Spirit. He is our. Paraclete, he's our comforter, he's our encourager. And because he encourages us, we're to encourage others. And you've heard me say this, um, you know, 
Go out of your way to encourage at least two people. Make it, a, make it a part of your daily life that you encourage at least two people a day. You can probably do better, but get at least two. Where you go out of your way, out of, your, out, of, out of everything that you're doing, out of your busyness, and you encourage at least two people with a kind word or a kind action or something. Do it every day. Make it to be a part. Make it a part of your life. And then, uh, and so this idea of unity then um, has to do with being kind, forgiving, and encouraging. And that, that we can put all those things into practice. I put some other sort of one another statements in there along the topic for you to kind of study this week. John 6, 43, stop grumbling among yourselves. I like that one. That's Jesus said that. Stop grumbling. Nobody, no grumblers, right? Mark 9, 50, Jesus, salt is good, he said, but if it loses its saltiness, how can we make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That's good stuff. Be at peace. Galatians 5.15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. This should not be the place for biting and devouring one another, but a place for kindness, compassion, forgiveness, encouragement. That's the church. Um, Galatians 5.26, let us not be conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Um, We're to care about one another, encourage one another. And that's how this stuff works. That's good enough for today. If you're watching on television or by video, thank you so much. We appreciate you doing that. If you need prayer, you can go to the website at keysvineyard.com. There's a place for prayer, or you can call us, and we'd be happy to pray for you. God bless you. Come and visit when you can.